stories, because they're not really stories, they're actual historical accounts, but some of the events in the Bible that we teach our kids, like bedtime Bible stories and whatever, come from 1 Samuel. you got David and Goliath, Hannah and uh, Eli, the rise of Saul, David and Jonathan. All of those stories are, are familiar to us, and especially to our little ones. <laughs> Second Samuel is not a book that has a lot of kid-friendly events in it. Um, This book is absolutely full of treachery, vengeance, violence. It has adultery. It has incest, backstabbing, and scheming in it. Um, It's just a very brutal book. I mean, if they were to make a movie off this, then... uh, and Hollywood didn't add anything to it or take anything away, this would be a, a very provocative movie. Uh, this is a rough book to read. As I was kind of scheming through it, I kind of noticed that uh, not once is the law mentioned, the law of Moses, you know, as was commanded in the law. None of that is mentioned. Um, but yet David always seems periodically through this book David is always asking for God's input he'll go to God and say he asks God should I do this should I attack the Philistines here should I do this and and God always answers him and I find that interesting because how many times would you like to just just once ask God should I do this and have a direct answer should I take this new job Should we move to Topeka? Should we, you know, and just have God say, yes, take this job. No, it'd be very helpful at times. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that for us, but it did for David, and that is prominent throughout this book. So what uh, Marty had done was, before he left, he gave me this uh, handout here. And today we're just going to kind of go through the whole book of 2 Samuel. We're going to speed through it, looking at some key events, and then when Marty comes back and resumes his lessons, we're going to uh, probably take each one of these more in depth and study them a little bit more. So we'll just start with uh, the first few here, which I think we probably covered last week, but we'll uh, go ahead and review those. David learns of the deaths of Saul and Jonathan and does what to the messenger who blanked about killing Saul. Does anybody remember that? He executed the messenger who lied about killing Saul. Did that man kill Saul? Evidently, how did Saul die? Fell on his own sword. David offers a blank over the loss of Saul and Jonathan, closing with the now famous line, how have the blank fallen? The first one would be a lament. That'd be kind of hard to get, I think. But he offers a lament. And then he says, "How, oh, how have the blank fallen? Does anybody remember that? The mighty. Despite years of being pursued and hounded by this guy unjustly, David still held Saul in honor. Why? Because he was who? God's chosen, the Lord's anointed. So David sets up shop in where? 
Does anybody remember the name of that town? Hebron, that's right. At God's direction and is anointed king over Judah, or Israel, I guess, at that time. Chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 5 is a very uh, interesting incident. Abner set up Saul's son, Ishabeth, as what? King, that's right, in Manahim, or Manahim, and war follows between the houses of Saul and David. This is the first, really, split of the kingdom, and it, to be honest, it really does never heal um, there's always some animosity there between the house of Saul and the house of David. Does anybody remember who Abner is? Commander of who? No, that's Joab. Abner was the commander. What did you say, bud? Saul's army. He was in Saul's camp. You got David over here, who who's, his commander was... Anybody remember that? Joab, right. So you've got Saul as the head with Abner underneath. You've got David as the head and Joab underneath. Now, I think last week we talked about how Abner killed Joab's brother in battle. Does everybody remember that? He was, they were chasing each other. And I've got this visual of two guys running across this field and the back one's just closing in on the front guy. And uh, just as he's about to get him, the front guy stops, and it said the butt of his spear went into the guy chasing him who was Joab's brother. I think his name is Ash, Ashiel or something like that. Anyway, it impales him. So Abner kills Joab's brother. How do you think Joab would feel about that? <laughs> think he'd carry a bit of a grudge? Evidently he does, because in the second sentence there, Abner is blanked by Joab, murdered, commander of David's army, Ishabeth. Abner is murdered by Joab, the commander of David's army, and Ishabeth is murdered by blank of his own military commanders. The answer there is two. And David mourns their deaths but is anointed king over all of Israel in Hebron. Now that whole story there you see says chapter 2, eight, verse, two verse 8 through chapter 5, verse 5. There's almost three chapters there. Ishabeth accuses Abner, you know, his main commander, of making a move on his father Saul's, one of his concubines. And so he really comes down hard on Abner for that. Abner takes offense to it and says, why are you questioning my moral decisions? And they kind of get into a little feud over that. So Abner crosses the line, goes over to David and Joab and says, I will help you reunite the whole kingdom, Israel and Judah together. And Ishabeth is scared now. So David accepts Abner's offer. He goes, okay, help me reunite the kingdom. And in the process, he says, but you do have to do one thing for me. 
you have to reunite me with my wife, Michael. Now, does everybody who remember M Michael was? Saul's daughter that was given to David in marriage. She, one of the times Saul was chasing David, she actually helped him escape by lowering him down a window on a rope and helping him escape. That's the last we've heard of her. It does say after that, evidently David never came back for her or told her to meet her or to meet him, you know, under the sycamore tree somewhere. They'd be reunited. Evidently, David just split. And uh, Saul ended up giving Michael to mar in marriage to another guy back there in uh, Israel. So David tells Abner, fine, we can reunite the kingdom, but you have to bring me back my wife, Michael. And so somewhere in this chapter 2 through 5, it'll talk about how they stripped Michael away from her new husband. I think his name was Paliel or something like that, and brought her back to David. And evidently that was a contentious uh, event. So Abner is leaving David's kingdom, going back. He's going to help reunite the kingdom. And Joab hears about it, and he's not really pleased that David has let this guy off scot-free. So Joab murders Abner without David's approval. Now, some people say that Joab, you would think Joab murdered Abner primarily because he killed his brother. Uh, the historian Josephus actually thinks that Joab could have been threatened by Abner's military standing and thought, hey, this guy's going to come in and take over my job as commander of the army, so he eliminates the competition. Either way, Joab murders Abner without command, and David is really ticked off about that and calls down a bunch of curses on Joab's family, which come to pass. If you get time, just read those three chapters. It's, it's brutal. Um, chapter 5, verse 6 through 25. David captures what town and moves the capital from there to he, from, moves the capital there from Hebron. Zion, Jerusalem. Exactly. This is where the capital eventually comes to Jerusalem. Philistines hear that David has been made king and make war against him. With blank direction, David defeats the Philistines in the valley of Rephaim. Whose direction? the Lord's, God's. This is one of those cases where he uh, he asked God, let's see, I think it's 519. Yeah, 519. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand them over to you. And later on down in verse 23 of chapter 5. So David inquired of the Lord. He answered. So David inquired of the Lord. And he, God, answered, do not go straight up, but circle around from behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. So here's two cases of many in this book where David, everything he does that requires 
planning and God's intervention like this, he asks God, should I do this? Should I do that? You guide me, Lord. What's the lesson in that for us? I mean, this guy, this is evidently as a guy after God's own heart. So what's the lesson in it for us? I heard it back there. Call upon the Lord for what? Time in need of help? Everything? Everything. You know, it's like I said at the beginning. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a big decision to make? And, I mean, you could just pull out one free access to God card and say, God, should I do this? Should I change jobs here? Should I move here? How should I act or interact with this person who might be giving me trouble? Should I, what should I do? What should I do? Wouldn't, have there been times in your life that you've really needed that direct, immediate input? A lifeline, right? I could have used a couple of those. But David always does that. And these are not just the two cases in this book. He does that throughout the book. Should I do this? Should I do that? Chapter 6 in chapter 7. David attempts to move the blank, but Uzzah touches it and is blanked by God as a result. What does David attempt to move? The Ark of the Covenant. Where has it been? Well, first let's back up before that. The Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle at Shiloh. How did it get removed from there? Do you all remember that? This was back in 1 Samuel. The Israelites brought it out to battle because they thought it would be some kind of magic power to help them win this battle. Is that what the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be for? No. They seriously disobeyed God when they did that. And as a result, the Philistines stole it. They had it for a little while, and they moved it around from town to town in the Philistine country. What happened to the Philistines in each town? Does anybody remember? They were cursed. Boils, skin cancers, tumors, whatever uh, your version says. Finally, the Philistines said, this is not good. Send it back to them. So they sent it back, and it resided at the farm or at the house of some guy. I can't remember his name. I did a little research on that. Why didn't they take it back to Shiloh? And this is, I don't think this is mentioned anywhere in Scripture, but evidently Shiloh was destroyed. Um, and so there was no Shiloh to take it back to. So it stayed at a couple of people's houses. And so David is bringing it back to Jerusalem. They put it on a cart pulled by oxen. And what's the problem with that? Anybody remember? He wasn't supposed to touch it. <laughs> but why was it on the cart in the first place? Is that how the ark was supposed to be transported? Do you remember? Moses gave specific instructions. How was the ark supposed to be transported? Six, three on each side, rings on side of the ark, poles through the rings, and these six guys carry it. 
So they disobey God. They break his command by putting it on a cart pulled by oxen. It stumbles. Uzzah touches it because he's trying to steady it. Can you blame the guy? I mean, really, can you blame the guy? Here is the physical embodiment of God. This is the Ark of the Covenant. You don't want it to fall and break, so reach out and touches it. But God says, no, nobody's to touch this thing. So he strikes him dead as a result. Lessons are learned about moving the ark improperly. Corrections are made and it is brought to... What town are we in now? Jerusalem. David wants to build a blank for the ark, which God affirms. What does he want to build? I hear some murmuring. A temple, a house. He looks out and he sees the ark staying in this tent. He goes, why is God's ark residing in a tent? Yet I am here in this wonderful palace. So I'm going to build a house for God's ark. How does God react to that? Does anybody remember? Says no. Is God angry with him? He's not really angry, but he's a little bit, uh, what's the word? I would say a little bit snarky. (laughs) He says, have I ever asked for a house? Don't you think if I wanted a house, I would have asked for a house? I've never asked for a house. But I will let you do this. I will let you build me a house. But it won't be you that does it. It will be who? I heard it. Your son, Solomon. Solomon's going to build my house. The reason is, he also tells David that he will build David's house so that his kingdom will endure forever. He's telling David, your house, your lineage, your descendants is going to rule forever because who's he talking about? Christ, Jesus, exactly. Interesting thing about this whole moving the ark to Jerusalem. Do you remember from hearing this previously? I know we haven't read through the book yet on this, but when they're bringing the ark of the covenant in, what's the procession like? What's the atmosphere like? I heard a murmur. What's that? It's a party. What's David doing? Does anybody remember that? David's dancing. And they're playing all these instruments. I mean, it is a big, big shindig. And it actually says that Michael, his wife, who was Saul's daughter, remember who he had torn away from her other husband in Israel and brought back, She's actually looking out the window at David, and does anybody remember what her attitude is towards David? Despised. The the Bible says she despised him. So she confronts him. Chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 6. Verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 20. 
When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, and you kind of have to put in the tone of voice that she's using here. Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of all the slave girls, of the servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father and anyone from his house who he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. So evidently, she liked David when he was the dashing hero back in 1 Samuel. But when it comes that he actually overtook her father and became the king of Israel, her attitude changes a little bit. Chapter 8 and 9, David subdues his enemies and establishes blank and blank for all of the people. That would be justice and righteousness. Yes, Jamie. She has been remarried to someone and then taken away and given back to David. And granted, we don't have all the details, but did she fully consummate her marriage with David? somebody that's going to get you some influence and things of that nature. But, right. but we have a word for it. We, we call it, he's, he has a trophy wife. Right. Not somebody he really loves, but somebody that he's going to benefit from getting a hold of or, you know, putting on, putting on his staff. <laughs> How many wives does he already have? Well, six or seven? Yes, that's what I said. So. And concubines on top of that? Yeah. Which goes back to God's design for marriage? No. Yeah, one, one man, one woman. And for, you know, the Bible has never really explained why God allows things like this to happen back then. But He did. And, but it really didn't cause problems. We're going to see that later on in David's life. He's going to have kids by all these different wives, and it's going to turn into a mess. 
minutes. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, seems to me that would have been a contentious household <laughs> with this kind of situation. Would it, would it have anything to do with the fact that she was Saul's daughter? It would seem to me that the benefit of that would have been gone with Saul died. I, in the kingdom, he said now, anointed king of over the United Kingdom, Israel and Judah, combined into one. I can see no benefit of having her around politically. Uh, maybe there was. Right. And so, yeah, Israel is now brought into Judah. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people like Abner that wanted Saul's son to be king. They were faithful to Saul. Right. And that might have been part of the reason to try to unite the people that were faithful to Saul and the people faithful to David. There are probably some political undertones here that are not mentioned. And that's the case with any monarchy. I mean, when a child of one nation of royalty marries a member of royalty of another nation, it brings those two. Uh, we'll go back and study World War I. That's <laughs> kind of what brought that on. Uh, he establishes justice and righteousness. He's going to set down peace, law, and order for all the people and bring Jonathan's blank Mephibosheth to eat at his own table. Who was Mephibosheth? Does anybody remember who that guy was? Jonathan's what? Son. What was the unique characteristic about him? Anybody? This disabled had two broken feet or two lame feet, could not walk right. Um, that's an interesting account there if you read over that. He... Uh, Mephibosheth is kind of like, why do you want me in your household? He's kind of nervous, I think, maybe. <laughs> and uh, David says, I want to show kindness to Jonathan, my best friend, who died in battle with Saul. And you're the one of the last remaining heirs of that family. I want to bring you in and show kindness to you. He could have slaughtered him. He technically is kind of a threat to the throne in a way, but he wants to show kindness so he brought him in until the day that Mephibosheth died. He ate at the king's table. Chapter 10. War erupts again, this time with the Ammonites, who hire the blank, also known as the Syrians, to help them. Remember what the other name of the Syrians are in the Bible? Depending on the version you have. Arameans. A-R-A-M-E-A-N-S to help them. The Ammonites are soundly defeated and sue for peace. Chapter 11 to verse 12. David blank with Bathsheba sins with Bathsheba and then blank at Nathan the prophet's rebuke. What does he do? He sins with Bathsheba, and then when Nathan confronts him about it, repents. He repents. I'm sure we'll spend some time on this when Marty gets back and we land in this chapter. But uh, 
Just one little lesson from this I think we can take to heart. Go to chapter 11, 2 Samuel. Or verse 1 and 2. Actually, just verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Evidently, March and April is when you go out to war over there. It's the warring season. When the kings go off to war, but what did David do? Where was he at? He stayed back. The question is, was David where he should have been? (laughs) Does sin often happen with us when... And not just a physical location, but in a personal sense, too. When we're in a place in life where we shouldn't be. When we're in a place that we shouldn't be, it opens a door for sin. And that's what it did here for David. If David had been where he should have been, what would have happened? Would he, would he have been on that rooftop and seen Bathsheba out taking the bath? He wouldn't, would he? We don't know why David stayed behind. I mean, it doesn't say that, but it seems to indicate he just stayed back voluntarily. I don't want to go out for whatever reason. I think it's just something maybe for us to think about that if we're in a place in life that we shouldn't be in, it's going to open the door for sin, and we need to do what we need to do to get back to where we should be. He then repents at Nathan the prophet's rebuke, but blanked the child that they had conceived. What happened to the child? Loses the child they had conceived, yes. And then who is born to them? Solomon. I mean, again, this is a, like I said, throughout this book, you never read anywhere about the law of Moses. What should have happened to David according to the law of Moses? Should have been stoned. Actually, should have been stoned twice. He uh, committed adultery and he murdered a man out of it. Um. And I think we'll study this more when we get to this chapter in Marty's class, but it's um, it's just going to show what God's grace and forgiveness can do for us if we are truly repentant. What was David's response to being confronted with this and his repentant? He didn't lie about it. He didn't try to blame somebody else. He didn't try to blame Bathsheba. Who's, who did he lay the responsibility at for this whole mess? He took it on himself. He accepted responsibility for it. Chapter 12. David. Well, I've got the answers here and I just gave it away. David returns to war and takes Rabbah from the Ammonites. Chapters 13 through 19 are a hot mess. <laughs> This is a, 
this becomes a soap opera that just, when you read this and you're thinking, wow, just remind you of some of the situations today. David's son, blank of Makkah, does anybody remember the name of that guy? It's Absalom. Kills David's son Amnon of Ahinaham. So if he, if the son of one wife kills the son of another wife, I mean, what's the relationship between those two boys? They're half brothers. You know, I like how it says the son of this guy killed his son. He killed his brother. Killed his half brother for raping his sister. Her name was Tamar two years earlier. Absalom flees and is estranged from David for three more years. I mean, this is not a story you read to your kids at bedtime, is it? You're going to skip over this one, right, in the bedtime Bible stories book? This is a, a mess. Amnon evidently had feelings towards his half-sister, Tamar, and with the help of another guy, schemes to get her to go to bed with him. And after that, it's found out, and Absalom, would you not say naturally, (laughs) feels anger towards this guy. But he doesn't kill him yet. He actually waits a couple of years, and then under his own little scheme, gets him to come out into the field with him with all the brothers of uh, or all the sons of David from all the different wives and he kills Amnon there in the presence of all of them and the rest of them scatter guys how would you feel if this was your sister I mean is, is is Absalom out of bounds here Was that Billy? We like to think he is, right? I mean, right? Our sisters, our daughters, our mother, I mean, the women in our lives who mean everything to us, and this happens to them. What's going to be your reaction, Your at least your inclination? What does, though, God say about vengeance? It's his. And I think when you're put in a situation like this, that is probably one of the hardest commandments to follow. Um, I mean, Hollywood has made zillions of dollars off of movies where somebody's done wrong with their family and the guy goes out and gets revenge and avenges his family or whatever, you know. That's the plot line of countless movies. But here, it's just, wow. Anyway, Absalom flees and is estranged from David for three more years. Joab, and David mourns the loss of Absalom. So Joab mourns him, or David is mourning the loss of him. Joab affects Absalom's return, but Absalom conspires against David for the throne, and is forced. To, David is forced to flee town. Absalom's rebel army, commanded by, his name is Amasa, 
is eventually defeated by David's forces, led by Joab and his brother, Abishai, as well as Ittai. And Absalom is slain, and the rebellion is quelled. I guess that's about four or five chapters there. Uh, As we move along through the book, uh, I'd encourage you all to read that. It's just, like I said, a big mess. David comes back to Jerusalem, and in chapter 19 to 20, David is blank as king, restored. But there is bad blood and turmoil between those of Judah who followed David and others of Israel. Another blank erupts, revolt, led by Sheba, son of Bichri. Joab pursues him, kills, murders Amasa along the way, besieges the city, Abel Methmachah, where Sheba is hiding, but relents when the inhabitants throw Sheba's blank to him from the wall. Does anybody remember what they throw of Sheba's from the wall? His head. Another bedtime Bible story for your kids. David allows chapter 21 or facilitates blank for the Gibeonites against Saul's family. The word there is vengeance. This is in order to end a famine that God had brought on the land for the blood of the Gibeonites that Saul had shed. This is not recorded in scripture anywhere, but evidently Saul had needlessly or unjustif- without any justification slaughtered the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites come to David and say, you know, we want our vengeance now. David asks God if it's okay and it's approved. And in this, the chapter, it also includes the record of four blank Philistines killed by David and his soldiers. As you may remember, a characteristic of those four Philistines that are killed Probably so. They're giant. The word that Marty put in here is four giant Philistines. These guys, uh, one guy had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Um, the other one, it tells about his spear and how much the head of the spear weighed is kind of like Goliath. So evidently, this must have been a big guy. Um, evidently, there must have been some kind of genetic line through that group of Philistines where just big guys were made. <laughs> Uh, chapter 22, this is David's psalm of blank from his enemies. The word there is deliverance. If you read through that, it's going to sound just like a whole bunch of other psalms from the book of Psalms that David wrote. Chapter 23, David's blank words recorded, of course, in a psalm, his last words. Chapter 23, this is the record of David's blank, 37 of them, including the accounts of some of their deeds. What were they known as? David's what? I heard it over here. Mighty men. Evidently, they were his special forces. The last name on that list is Uriah the Hittite. Who was he? It's Bathsheba's husband. The people of Israel behave in such a way as to warrant God's blank to burn against them. His anger, 
He therefore incites David to blank the army, which decision is resisted of all people by blank. So God therefore incites David to do what to the army? He numbered, took a census. And of all people who objected to that was Joab. Uh, if you read the Joab's like, uh, are you sure you want me to do this? Knowing that it would anger God. Like Joab is a guy who is interested in what God thinks. Which is <laughs> kind of the irony there. And for this, God sends a blank upon the nation. A pestilence that is eventually halted by the threshing floor of Arana, also called Ornan the Jebusite. David blanks the field to offer a penitent sacrifice. What does he, how does he acquire the field? He buys it. It was offered to him for free by the guy who owned it. And what was David's reasoning? I'm not going to offer a sacrifice for something I paid nothing for. He was offered the field. He was also offered, I think, the oxen and the wood to build the altar. Interestingly, this field where this offering takes place is the future site of future site of what's that? The temple. Just a few decades, Solomon's going to build a temple, and it's going to be here on this field. So we made it through the book of 2 Samuel in, what, 40 minutes? All right. Uh, Marty will be back next week. I think we last time we left off in chapter around 2. So if you want to read this week, maybe chapters 3 and 4 to kind of get back up to speed where he'll pick up, we'll go into a lot of these situations and a lot of these events in more detail. But thank you.